Pod Clubhouse. Attention all passengers. The temperature outside is minus 119 degrees Celsius. We are six years, nine months, and 26 days from departure. For your personal safety, be prepared to brace. Welcome back to the third season of Pod Clubhouse's coverage of TNT's Snowpiercer. This is Paul Daly, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Kat from Latinx Lens Podcast. Hey, how are you doing? Happy to be back. I am COVID-free and other other problems just, just been falling off like a water off a duck on me. I'm just uh, <laughs> inviting trouble by even just saying that out loud. <laughs> and also our second season guest host and uh, I guess permanent host now, Inez. Welcome back. Yay. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming back. Let's just kick things right off with what did you guys think of this new season so far? This episode, The Tortoise and the Hare. Well, first, I was excited to come back and I like that it just, you know, picks up right where I left off. I guess my main thing was I, I am still holding out hope that uh, Melanie's alive. So for me, I was just like throughout this episode, I was like, is she going to come back? But I think overall, it was a good first episode back. There was a lot going on in both trains and then offsite too, which I'm excited. It seems like this season might have more of it off train, hopefully. Um, now that that's like a new avenue, obviously, um, Layden, what you know, he encountered um, someone in this episode. So I feel like that just is going to open a lot of possibilities. And then one of my favorite moments that I'll probably get into is like the Pike and Ruth development and oh, like yeah. new relationships. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it had a little bit of everything and it was a pretty good season three opener, in my opinion. You know, I did. Uh, I really, I did enjoy it. I did. I'm going to start off saying I did enjoy it. Um, <laughs> she was entertained. And, uh, it was. I was entertained. It was a uh, busy. I was excited to kind of be back in the story. I'll admit, though, when I finished the episode, I kind of felt like there was something missing. I feel like I wasn't getting that nearly as much of like that, like big, like. Um, suspense or magic or like crafty scheming kind of feeling that was really appealing in the first two um, seasons and especially in that closer that we got in season two. So I feel like I was a little bit bummed that it kind of felt like an episode that could be like in the middle of a season Hmm. uh, and it didn't feel so much as an opener but it could just totally be me. (laughs) Well that could be a side effect of the way that they pick up just like in the middle of the action. Uh, There is a time jump. I think we even predicted that we wanted a time jump if I recall, rather than just like the second that the, <laughs> that the train Oh, leaves. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, so it that, was like six months, right? Yes. I think they mentioned six yeah. months around the world. Yeah, so it wasn't, yeah. I said it was like right after, but it felt, because I guess, you know, we're thinking it's like right after, but no, there was like time passed, like six oh, months. Um, yes, there was uh, narration, prologue type stuff to let us know where we're at, but really it just picked up right in the middle of everybody's doing what they're doing. I like to go through the different characters and catch up with where they were and, and what they were doing. But first, let's take a look at that title, The Tortoise and the Hare. Given how this episode went, it seems very ominous already with that title. You know, the, the way the fable goes is, you know, the hare tries to win the race, but it keeps stopping to do other things. And eventually the tortoise 
wins the race. And in this case, we know that the Snowpiercer engine is capable of running very fast, but they keep stopping to take samples and hopefully find Melanie somewhere out there. And it's Big Sally that is running so slow that she can't keep her heat up anymore. That would put her as the, I'm calling it her because... I don't know. You call boats. Ship. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, that would make her the, the tortoise. So does that wig you out at all, Inez? Well, that does make it more ominous. You know, I didn't really like think a whole lot on the title. In fact, I thought it was the other way. I was thinking that uh, the, the hair being like the one train that's still just like going and looking around. And I, but like what you said makes so much more sense. <laughs> Um, in terms of uh, that title there. Yeah, because they keep doing their like side gigs and getting themselves into trouble. That's not a good look for the hair if this is a for, you know foreshadowing for how this season is going to turn out. One thing that they were trying to show us was that Snowpiercer is supposed to be pulling all that weight and distributing the heat generated by all that friction and whatever else, right? And so that's why everybody looked like they were just wearing spa clothes <laughs> <laughs> on Snowpiercer is because yeah. the whole it was running too hot. I hope that people pick up on that detail is that once it starts running, they need a way to shed the heat. And that was part of what Alex and, and Ben were were going on about. What else did you notice about the conditions on the Big Sally train, Kat? Well, it seemed like everybody's still, they're definitely cold. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, yeah, they were wearing the, the big coats and still the morale is very um, not good. And there's a little bit of rebellion going on again or people just, you know, wanting to take like the bath situation that happened. Mm. Yeah, I would just say just seemed like there, it, it's still a depressing train to be on. <laughs> not the best it's like he, he transfers the uh <laughs> <laughs> kind of the the communist state wherever he goes right so <laughs> yeah the coldness of wilford and the coldness of the actual you know outside and train so i thought i noticed something about the conditions on that train and the way people kind of looked and dressed and looked very grungy mm -hmm. uh first it reminded me of the movie um, a little bit more than I had been reminded so far. And then it also reminded me of whenever like the French resistance is represented in, in movies uh, from World War II, uh, you know, living under the thumb of the Nazis and then passing messages through secret means like the teacher with the kid and the doctor and, and eventually up to Pike, et cetera, et cetera, with Ruth having to live in a bolt hole. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Ruth, actually. Yes. Because um, she was right there in the opening. Man, what stood out to you guys about Ruth? I know you sounded the most excited, so we'll start with you. <laughs> well, first of all, she still remains a badass. She was a badass and when she was writing things for Wilford. She was a badass before Wilford was there. And then she's just continuing to take on this really cool presence and, and role. And, and then it's just, I don't know, there's just like a sweetness to her also on the things that she cares about. You know, for example, when they when she goes in with Pike to go relocate their little hideout into the first class closet area. Um, and, yeah. that's, that's as good a description as there is. Right? And I don't know, they, they just had this really like sweetness for her. And I just love her like complaining, like, Kevin, you couldn't even 
pack these things up and like she was just appalled at the lack of quality for like that kind of role that he's supposed to be playing on on the ship and so I just love that she's still kind of like true to her core and maintaining and and having that kind of respect for the environment that she's in and I love her title <laughs> that you know that you know, they they refer to you know the tippy top like it's just Per- I felt like it was just <laughs> a perfect name for like such a cuteness that she still has about her despite like her being like this like really cool badass person that she's just like scurries around she doesn't she doesn't care about getting dirty she doesn't care about whatever she's cool crawling the fucking little track thing with ice piles <laughs> on top of her and then she just like maintains business as usual and I don't know I just really enjoyed seeing her her that sweetness tied with such a significant role. I'm excited to see her character throughout this. But she's still very much not the head, but uh, she wasn't the head, but she, but now she is the head of hospitality, right? Even though it's not a department that's not eating anymore, she takes care of the people with her. She sent the medicine to the people that she thought would need it in that opening scene. Did you notice the reversal that she had from first season, especially mm-hmm. and second season, where she referred to, you know, Mr. Wilford will fix everything when he gets here. Now it's mm-hmm. Mr. Layton. Mm-hmm. Will, did you yeah. notice that, Cat? Yeah, I did, and I, I I agree with Inez about the sweetness, and I feel like even though they're in the condition they are, and you know, obviously there's a lot going on with Wilfred and the two trains, and also you know she's very concerned about Mister Layton um, now <laughs> instead of Wilfred. But I felt like she is at her most free that she's been because I think in the first season she was very much in her role tied to Melanie. Melanie broke her heart, and then the second season when it's her sort of coming to terms of why Melanie did what she did and also warming up to Layden and trusting him as and then finding out that you know Mr. Wilford is not who she had kind of idolized for all that time and so I feel like this season she really can just be herself and then we do see those glimpses like she's always going to be you know head of hospitality and and in those exchanges but now it's just like a lightheartedness that's really fun to see like I think she's had the biggest arc and been like the most interesting characters to, she's really made a change but she still has stayed true to who she um she, she is just i think the constraints around her have really loosened even though they're in the like a horrible situation still yeah, or right. unsure situation but i feel like for her at least like now she can be herself no matter what happens and then she's also supporting the people from a place i think of like sincerity instead of like fear or you know like how she was operating before like, I don't think she could have ever had that exchange with Pike ever, you know, like in the huh. first season or even the second season. So like the fact that she's joking around with him shows how far she's come. Mm-hmm. That was really fun to watch. She's like in all or nothing mode. Mm-hmm. Every, everything's at stake. So she can't hold anything back per se. I mean, she has to be careful, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. But whatever else might have been getting in the way of how she needed to act, that that's all stripped away now. I think it was the first season where we had that, or maybe last uh, in the second season as well, where we were having that meter of like where she was and like loyalty and the stuff. Loyalty and I meter, feel, yes. Yeah. And I feel like in this season, like we, there's no question where she is. So I think also just she knows what, what she, like, you know, what side she's on and she's going, like you said, all in now. So it's fun to be like, we don't have to question where she's at. But I think now it also makes her more of a target because we do know she's on one particular side and then I don't know how this season's going to go. So it's going to hurt even more if something happens to her, I think more so than <laughs> the first and second season. So they're setting us up. I feel like, uh, like I want Ruth to stay safe, but like also I don't know if it's going to look good for her because of this whole arc that she's been through and like how she's a beloved character now. 
Wilford doesn't know that she's on the train, right? Because he's he sees that he doesn't right. know who's no. at the top of the resistance when he goes to Mm-hmm. finds right. their area so that's a benefit for her for sure because i feel like if he knew that she was there he's the type that would be like all resources now must go to finding ruth yes well and her cohort is someone we sh- we could talk about just for a second pike you know first season he's very skeptical of Leighton, or at least he was constantly playing devil's advocate kind of up his butt about different decisions. Then in the second season, he gets to be in the way a little bit, you know, running the contraband and being an opportunist that way. And now he's, you know, the right hand to the, to the resistance and walking a very dangerous fine line where Ruth, if she gets found out, it seems like Wilford would toy with her and do cruel things to mess with her mind. Pike, on the other hand, he has no relationship with Wilford. Not that the show would kill him, but you could see him killing him mm-hmm. or taking off his hands or arms or whatever. So that's a big evolution for um, a little character like Pike. Yeah, and he seems like at home. I felt like he looked very comfortable versus before there was, like you said, just a lot of this, like, which way is he going to go on the balance, on the loyalty meter, on the, he was always on the mm-hmm. pike meter. And now he's, it seems so <laughs> clear that he's like, uh, I'm on, I, I don't know if it's like a, a Leighton um, loyalty or if it's a um, Ruth, Ruth loyalty. Maybe. Well, he took yeah. care of her. Or just it, against Wilford loyalty. Yeah. That could be. <laughs> Well, he, in the in the closet with the little heaters, yeah, uh, that was forethought oh, yeah. in a way that was actually kind of sweet, and that there wasn't any element of boy girl business there. It was he wanted to take care of her, just person to, to person. He, she's important to this effort, and he needs her. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs her. That was also yeah. a sweet. I, I'm <laughs> sure because I mean I feel like it probably has a lot to do with Ruth's core character that she really has been like the one person that is all about the hospitality piece of it granted season one like she was all about it before like the certain people but i don't know it just like when wilford had it obviously nobody really gets hospitality like from him and then Leighton was kind of just like being a rambo through all kinds of random stuff and you know (laughs) but but ruth here like we see like this underground organization and infrastructure that she's put in place in six months and it's been like really good and healthy for the the people and i'm sure that that's i feel like that is something that pike cares about just from how he's expressed things that he's cared about in the previous seasons ruth has always been also a good people person and i think she more than anyone else like in terms of leadership reads the room and adjusts based on that (laughs) so i feel Mm. like she figured out how to you know work with what she needed to and like she's super organized well she looks at people in in a way that someone in hospitality would you know like trying to anticipate mm-hmm. needs I, I would imagine their that you, needs mm-hmm. you could translate that skill into other things that would be helpful for a resistance leader maybe even anticipate if you anticipate their needs maybe you anticipate when it comes to salad forks and <laughs> and uh, and bath towels and stuff, maybe you can translate that to uh, other things. Specifically with with Wilford and the way that he thinks, she's their best bet, you know, because she's known him the longest. Even if it's been at kind of arm's reach as an employee, let's stay on Wilford's train and look at some other characters that we found over there, shall we? Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. 
Speaking of the night car, who else had a little vomit in their mouth looking at LJ and Osweiler? (laughs) 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 Yeah. Oh, my God. You know what, though? Not that they're growing on me because I think I, you know, I have to look back because, you know, it's been a year and I didn't rewatch the two seasons. I might do it before our next episode, but so maybe I don't have like the LJ, you know, what they've done in the back of my mind, like fresh. So seeing them now, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute. They found love in a two kind no, well, she, he's not psycho, but she's a little psycho. She, sw- she swirls false eyes around in her mouth for you know, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and I feel like he is a little psycho. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So I don't know. They, they found each other. So I was like, and on the one hand, I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute. On the other hand, yeah, I threw up a little bit too. <laughs> what I feel like it's also setting up for something that maybe won't end well. Cause I feel like LJ would like, ba- you know, backstab him or something. <laughs> it's fair. Osweiler, he's been opportunistic. And if you remember, he was trading contraband for blowjobs in season one. You guys recall that? Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. 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 Uh, And he was very cool with Till. But now he's changing somewhat. He doesn't seem to be as high strong and all that. So that seems good. But LJ, on the other hand, I think you might be onto something, Kat, that she's always on the lookout for what might be a better move up for her i didn't really feel like a disgust um seeing them i kind of felt like nothing about them honestly they weren't on the screen a whole lot there were one role that they played was feeding information to wilford through the drunken jackboot person i don't know i mean that seems so like typical right that seems to me like a standard kind of role that they would definitely play both of them kind of like just survival and opportunistic in in that way i didn't really care for them a whole lot they didn't do anything for me so I didn't hate them but I also didn't love it and I didn't feel like I about the romance thing I feel like you know it's just hormones like we're all stuck in a fucking train like why not like bang each other fair enough their area in the night car that they've been handed is probably going to be perceived by people as a a meeting ground that's safe to exchange things you know that's because the what was the previous crime boss used to kind of take up shop there. And, and we know that the girl with the message ran through there, you know, it's a train. There's only so many places you can go pass through things. Um, (laughs) So they are, they're probably going to be key in this flow of information from up and down the train. I wonder if the resistance will ever figure that out. I mean, if they, for some reason should trust those two, I don't know why they would. Perhaps they can bring it around to their advantage by putting false information through there or or something like that. I feel like at this point, they're definitely in a privileged kind of role. So even though there is only a one class, working class kind of situation, I feel like that whole area is very sacred to Wilford because of Audrey. And I feel like him allowing them to occupy that space in their role, I think that was like an intentional kind of like, we're on the same team and you've got this good job that like other people don't have. So I feel like the resistance is not good 
it would not voluntarily like incorporate them into that. But I do think that if they caught wind, if Osweiler and LJ kind of figured out what was happening on some of the rebellion side of stuff, they would be opportunistic on either direction. I, I don't think they have a particular loyalty until after they weigh the outcomes of, of that. And it's going to be whatever benefits themselves. That's uh, intelligent assessment. I, I hadn't thought of mm-hmm. they live in the night car apparently or adjacent to it they get to dress nicely serve drinks mm-hmm. play piano that's a pretty good gig when other people are going in and out of the composting unit right i mean even wilford won't even open first class because he wants it to come back to its glory so i feel like he has had to have a say in that and osweiler is doing his piano thing because he auditioned for wilford so <laughs> i think like they're there because wilford has allowed it and it is an unspoken status kind of thing that's my guess Mm-hmm. Speaking of Mr. Wilford and the engine and his staff up there, we can cover him, Javi, Kevin, and Zara all in one go here. First, Javi's alive. Yes. I, I thought he was dog meat. I know. Oh, yeah, because yeah, I was thinking, I was, I wrote it down like, is alive, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Because I was thinking like, he, we thought he was dead, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he seems like his soul has been sucked out and he's just surviving like on the very like edge of barely just like kind of living at the whim and probably wishes he was dead in some ways because it doesn't seem like it's a nice existence having someone who put the dogs on you and then also doing this weird psycho taking care of you in a way but you're the you know you're the reason why he's like that so exactly um you know he still needs to be an engineer so i'm like how do you get in the headspace because i'm guessing that's the only reason why he's like alive if they called off the you know the dogs at some point to keep him alive so then he's being kept alive for some reason and i wonder if that's more for leverage with the other train more so than needing javi but maybe because engineers are scarce he he did want to keep him but then maybe it's like the equivalent of the uh, the bath scene where that he you know he used to make um them kill themselves sort of and then like bring them back to kind of have them at their at his whim yeah so maybe that was the equivalent of what he what if he wanted to do to javi um so i wonder if javi will kind of turn over just like you know the others did like kevin and miss audrey javi's strong um yeah he he always spoke his mind on the other train he he surprised us you know by helping break melanie out etc etc Uh, But this is a unique deal. Those IV bags, it's been six months. Can he possibly still need medication or or maybe he's being sedated with those so that he doesn't get too many ideas? And also, we still don't know a lot about the lab that they have going on there. So maybe they're also doing some weird experimental stuff Uh, and using him as a as a test as well. They have not given us too much information besides, you know, what we saw with Josie. But there is a lot there that we have not seen, like even from the season one stuff with the doctor, you know, with the the doctor um, and like the bodies and stuff. So I feel like there's a lot of stuff we still haven't seen with like science in that regard. So maybe they're also using treatments like that. Well, even though it happens at the end of the episode, since you brought up the science, uh, you guys didn't blink and miss that scene with Zara, did you? With the icy Bob baby in the making? 
Yeah. Uh, yes. People are going to look at that and I don't know what they're going to see, but let me tell you what you saw. You saw what my friend Kat once called Dr. Creepy McCreeperson um, <laughs> yes. inject something into that fetus. They weren't doing some amniocentesis or something. That needle went into the baby. Yeah. And, and Zara was knocked out for that. So she's not complicit in whatever this unholy icy baby <laughs> is is shaping up to be. Yeah. There's like this underlining the science fiction-y type thing. I mean, all of this is sort of, you know, post-apocalyptic thing, but there's that element that hasn't been explored. So I'm really hoping they do explore that more in this season because that would be fun to kind of see what they're doing with the whole ice experiments. And then I wonder, is he trying to like, if the baby works out to be like this frozen baby like that he'll he's going to want to build an army with i don't know like what is he thinking for a future thing or the the kid will be able to like be his you know he'll keep the kid to like go out in the world like i don't know what they're trying to do with that it's uh, clone wars or yeah 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 <laughs> or um probably not the direction but this, given that this is Layton's kid could he be doing something this is also science fictiony that would keep the kid medically dependent on Wilford and his good graces to keep him healthy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you would do that. I'm just making shit up. But he's the kind of guy that if that technology existed, he would use it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's the whole idea about like, what can they do with like stem cells that they've modified from uh, a living fetus um, and created from that based off of this new environment that could like become something to inject in himself or like a little bit more super evolved human for the outdoor cold kind of environment mm. i mean i'm with mm -hmm. you i'm following you paul <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's all bad even if maybe that's that syringe was taking stuff out of the baby that's not great news either um, yeah no it's it's all it's just bad news whatever it is <laughs> No. So Mr. Wilford uh, has his little Darth Vader running around, Kevin, doing <laughs> doing his bidding. He's not as cool as Darth Vader. I could go nerdier and name a more appropriate major domo from the you Star should, Wars because universe. Don't do that to Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Darth Vader would be Wilford. <laughs> right. Well, he's Kevin's more of a Bib Fortuna, if you will, Jabba's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Helper. We'll take it. Yeah. All right. Um, if you're if you're up to date on uh, the book of Boba Fett, then they've been talking mm -hmm. a lot about Bib Fortuna. But anyway, this is not a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> Mr. Wilford and what he was talking about with with Javi, I thought was uh, very very telling. What did you guys think about the idea of needing to keep a what did he call it an unpredictable presence as a way of maintaining order? What did you guys think about that? it's just typical Wilford. We should read into it because, you know, everything he says is not by accident. I think he's very calculated in the way he speaks. Maybe it's something where maybe people can get comfortable or not get com too comfortable. And, and that way, you know, people are kind of on the, on the edge of their seat. I think maybe that's sort of the thing. I don't know. I feel like it's just a diabolical, th uh, another game that he's playing. And he tends to, like, the people he has up front is where he admits it. It used to be Alex and say all these little things, which I think is what he's actually planning. And then with other people, he's more calculated and doesn't really say that much. So Javi seems to have taken that um, that role now since he doesn't have Alex. 
Yeah. <laughs> he needs someone to monologue for. Right? Yeah, yeah, he does. So, and and then and you know, Javi's just there, kind of like, ugh, like you know, he he's just listening, or maybe just not listening because he's just fearful. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe it's something to do with that. Well, you manage yeah. people, Inez. Do you like to keep things unpredictable? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! I would have gotten like fired and imprisoned if I was like took up um, Wilford's leadership style. I, uh, <laughs> what I do know is that he is consistently grooming his victims. So the whole time he's right there, like, oh, let me like take care of your cream and your face because I care about that healing really well. All of that BS, and then everything that he's saying it's just it's just to groom a very specific emotional response from Javi that will keep him grounded keep him down keep him from emboldening himself again in the future I think it's just part of that whole transition uh, on on bringing him down I don't know if he'll ever achieve like an Audrey level or a Kevin level transition with Javi because Javi never had a relationship with Wilford in that manner you know, I think that it was it was definitely a lot for him, for for Javi. I feel like it's for Javi to keep his fear up, keep his boldness down. And then it is just the same way that he would, though, execute. And he does like get a lot of joy out of like instilling that kind of fear and unpredictability like amongst people, probably to try to get like a leg up on the resistance. Like, you you know, doesn't matter what you try to do. I'm, I'm still winning. I'm still here and I can do whatever I want. Well, when you keep people back on their heels and you keep them anxious, you don't give them a lot of time to plan or to make intelligent decisions. You do get some people like Leighton that can make kind of snap decisions that sometimes work out, <laughs> but it's often where you manage to keep the upper hand with this manufactured sense of of anxiety and since you manufactured it if you decide to release the pressure then you also grant people the idea of that they now all of a sudden feel good right because you're right. in control of, of that too just the absence of the anxiety all of a sudden feels great mm -hmm. exactly yeah that's such a wilford thing like the control he's really good at the manipulation for the people who when he puts them in those situations but I don't know if Javi's going to break, but I feel like he had a really good teacher with Melanie. Javi's smart, but, you know, IVs, dogs, having been mauled. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I wouldn't blame him if he broke. Like, I mean, I would yeah, probably break. Right. If that's, yeah. yeah. So not blame me. I was going to say only strong people, but I was like, I cannot, if I was in that situation, like I would totally break. So I can't like be, you know, put myself in that. This is just in a TV setting, but, um, <laughs> you know, in a TV show setting, but like, thinking like, come on, Javi, don't break. But I mean, after yeah. this, what he's been through, I mean, it's manipulation 101 from Wilford. Compliance through fear, you know, like he's just a survival response and I wouldn't blame him for that either. Speaking of someone who has been brainwashed, you guys brought up Audrey. Who is this wiener Martin? Did I forget him from the previous thing? Or was he just somehow no. on the... He, yeah, they they introduced yeah, him. Here I was confused. As, they call him like a made jokes about him being a stowaway because he says um, in his intro scene, like you know that he was asleep in his bunker and then just woke up and all of a sudden he was on a runaway train and his husband and twin boys were stuck on the other train. So that's that's our intro to to how he showed up. 
And it looks like he's like working on behalf of Leighton by obligation or by default. Like, okay, you're here. You're an extra body. So that's as far as we know him. I We did not know him in any previous season. Okay. Well, that's good. Because he didn't cast a good impression, and now he might have a brain bleed, thanks to Till. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> All right, Audrey. Last season, we discussed her often on the loyalty meter. I got to admit, she had me fooled. I bought her BS. I thought she would be able to deal with... Mr. Wilford as as a mole and not succumb to his seductive ways and uh, totally wrong. Totally wrong. Uh, did her trying to take over this train right away for us anyway? It's, I know it's been six months, but, you know, for us, that's all that matters. Did that come as a surprise to you? So I'd like eye rolled a lot. <laughs> Um, because honestly, I felt like it was a really big disservice that they did to her character based off what we got to learn from her in the first season, you know, and then like the struggle that she went through and then that transition in season two. So just like seeing her character be like, so like blatantly a different person than we met in season one and part of season two was just like. It was, I don't know, it didn't settle right with me. I didn't like it and it was off-putting. So that's all I'm going to say for right now because maybe some people like are see something and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you guys had to say because I don't know if I'm just jaded. Yeah, I agree with y'all because especially when we have character arcs in, in this show that feel so like, I guess, authentic and natural for their, like what they've been through, especially since we just talked about Ruth's progression. But with Audrey, it's never felt like it was a like, the shift was right. And I'm honestly still waiting for that to like shift back. Cause it feel like, it just does not feel right from season one, unless maybe I got to go back and watch season one and see if there's any underlining like that she played with it. But I don't know if the actor and like, they would have known that she was going to make that shift in later seasons, but I know they had like plotted it out maybe, but yeah, I don't know if the way they did it was just too sudden or maybe like I didn't pick up on something. Yeah, like she, like she in season one, like we, I don't know, we had, we had some, um, well, we didn't because I wasn't in here in season one, but like in season one, there was just like a lot of like depth to her, a big, big depth yeah. to her. And then season two, yeah. you know, season two, we see like a very legitimate struggle and we had some really awesome conversations around that and how we tie that to like real mm-hmm. life, like domestic violence kind of situations, why people would go back to abusers and and things like that. And and so she did and she succumbed and, and she did that journey and we still were holding out for hope for her because of... Yeah. The demeanor that her at, that her character was having at that time, and that was such a short period of time of overlap that she had with Wilford versus like the whole I don't know how long were they on this train before Wilford showed up? Was it seven? Wasn't it seven years? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> right. So yeah. we have seven years, and then she's with him for a small minor overlap. This has to be like months long. Definitely not another seven years. And then now we have like a completely different person. Like to me, it feels like different 
person. And yeah. like, even when they took her from the train six months ago, she wasn't nearly as like all in kind of reminds me of like, you know, like the villains in the Batman uh, movies that are just kind of like all like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like over like <laughs> celebratory over their like grand villain person, you know, like the Joker. Like, I feel like she was she in this episode was kind of like one of those like really cheesy I'm all about my my villain leader kind of people and that just didn't settle right with me it didn't make sense to me especially with her being now separate from him for six months if anything it's an mm-hmm. equivalent amount of time that she's been away from him now um, that she had the overlap with him after seven years it doesn't make sense so I'm I'm pissed about it yeah. it's not even the the joker it's the original incarnation of Harley Quinn, uh, mm-hmm. not the movies, yes, but the one that was like Mr. J, you know, because <laughs> <Yes. one. laughs> yeah, she didn't think for herself, you know, whereas like you've pointed out in the first season, she wasn't in every episode, but the ones where she was, she was constantly questioning, constantly driving Melanie to feel a certain way or think about something from another perspective. And, and she definitely desperately wanted to stay away from, from Wilford once it was found out that he was, you know, zeroing in on them. All that is just out the window. We get this, I don't know. uh, Although do you think maybe that's, I I think the only way I could maybe justify it is the fact that she didn't want to see Wilford when they found out he was on the other train. I mean, we saw, I guess, a flashback to um, their previous life, or I think she talked about it, right? Yeah. In one of the episodes last season, maybe she knew that that would happen. And maybe it took seven years for her to like kind of get over it and then get in a good place and maybe it is one of those things where like one person has that like really strong hold on you that even if it is only a few months you can kind of revert back to that person that you were with them and maybe that's why she was fighting so hard to not have to be in that position and then now like it just kind of triggered it and she like you know did the 180 and is like this whole other person And so I feel like that could possibly make sense because if someone, I've never been in an abusive situation where someone has like an, you know, that hold over you. So I can't really judge that, but I would say maybe that could make sense where like those feelings are so strong and those fear mechanisms that this person has like inflicted upon you in previous, you know, in your previous uh, time, like could all come back and maybe she's kind of reverted back to whatever she was before. And like for her, um, like, uh, what is it? Defense mechanism. But then she hasn't like kind of snapped back now that she's with the people she was with before. So So that's where it hasn't made sense, I guess. But I don't know, because if your psyche kind of breaks being in those fear situations, who am I to judge like, oh, you can just come back, you know, that you're back on the train when she had to go with Wilfred and like think that was going to be the rest of her life again, you know, so. If if this was not Snowpiercer, but it was actually the story of Audrey, we might have seen that she potentially, this is just a theory, that she had spent more of her life as Harley Quinn. <laughs> and and the time on Snowpiercer was actually the respite from that. And so, like you've suggested, Kat, slipping back in to Harley mode didn't require as much pushing as we thought it would, given that we'd only ever known thinking Harley or Harley, <laughs> I'm caught yeah. up in my in my own metaphor. Thinking um, uh, Audrey, but there's much more time spent as Harley Quinn mode. 
Yes. Yeah. And I feel like that makes sense because I guess my comparison will be around food and like when you try to get healthy and, you know, you spend a lot of time like being comforted by food for and then you get like maybe a year on a kick. And then, you know, if you have that donut again, like you're back where you were and all the stuff you told yourself like, oh, I'm never going to have this. I'm going to go on walk. I'm going to do exercise kind of like all reverts back and you become like the person that you thought you weren't going to be again during that healthy time. So I guess in that regard, I can make that connection. I mean, obviously, it's a completely different thing what she's going through. But I guess the change, though, is different because you can tell yourself you want to be one person. But then you get in a situation where, you know, you have something and then like you will go right back into your ways. And it's going to take maybe another seven years to get even back to the point where you can go back to, you know, where you want to be out of the the hole. So who knows? I think the comparison is apt. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different kind of aspect on, on your life weight versus, um, you know, like psychological abuse, yeah, psychological like abuse, physical. but it's still deciding for your personality, what you want to be and who you want to be and how you want to be and all that. And then falling victim to, to your own proclivities that, mm-hmm. that you've tried to do away with. Every human can relate to that, whether it is, uh, smoking or, uh, torchies tacos or, uh, <laughs> or whatever. But, but in terms of like the TV show that we've seen, like we had to, like, we had to have this whole conversation to really justify what we've seen from her. They didn't do like a clean break of like her progression. So that's why it feels so jarring. Yeah. And, and so, so, so what we would just went through kind of makes sense to me, but I'm like, do we need to really put that much effort and like they should have shown us that to make it make sense in, in a way. But I don't know how they would have done that. The, the other piece that, you know, just kind of transition, I guess, from Audrey to Alex might be a good little like yeah. pivot point here. But I really was also annoyed that the writing in this scene where she's Audrey's taking over the train. <laughs> which is laughable completely and and that like that she could actually get into Alex's head to me like that Mm. also didn't seem like a match I feel like Alex is such like a different caliber and kind of like I don't know she's just like way cooler than than this Audrey here and I just don't see how I I just didn't realize that that Alex would have this much respect for Audrey's like words all of a sudden you know she doesn't really like know her except for when when they were all in Big Sally because she wasn't with Audrey for the seven years she was with Wilford so I like how Alex's character kind of stayed true to like the I'm not faced by you being in the engine room right now because literally I'm the one that's keeping all of us alive like I get that and I like that and uh, I'm happy to see that but maybe you guys can help fill this in but when do you when in their relationship would Audrey have gained so much of Alex's respect that she would actually like oh she must be right and I'm I maybe it is a good thing for me to leave people behind what super legit question because she She's only ever regarded Audrey as uh, Wilford's whore, for lack of a (laughs) more PC word. Then that's not usually a a position that comes with a lot of respect. Excellent call, Inez, because I thought the same thing. I mean, I know it's TV and they're juxtaposing the rescue of Ben and and all that is kind of cutting back and forth. And so they're doing everything they can to ratchet up the tension. But that that momentary break of Alex's also rang false for me. 
Yeah, I think that whole scene of the Audrey taking over the train and then, yeah, having that thing with Ali. I didn't like that. And then Till having to come in and, like, knock her out, like, the way it happened. I feel like I, they I just did enjoy that, that in for some extra <laughs> drama. I mean, it was it was cool because, you know, she had been talking all that stuff. But I was like, also, it was kind of annoyed me how easy she was able to just like get in the in the front of the train, you know, like in the main area when they were like trying to lock her up. And it just seemed kind of silly, like, you know, that was able to happen so easily. And that one seemed a little foolish. So I, I'm, I agree with both of you on that front. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so yeah, that that the breakout, the Martin. I don't know, I was happy to see that this um, Sykes, the woman that they had to lock up in Audrey's cell, is on board because as I, I was making my notes for this, it seemed like Leighton was having a little bit of a leadership problem. I mean, everybody's basically still on board that he's only got a crew of seven, but he's still getting kind of a lot of questions about, are they really doing the right thing? Shouldn't they be getting back to the other train, et cetera, et cetera. What did you guys think? Is there a leadership issue? Uh, Josie, I kind of thought that she might actually be in charge uh, at this point, but he slaps her down with the follow the chain of command idea. Uh, <laughs> verbally, of course, I wouldn't want to take on that robot hand if I were, Layton. Um <laughs> did you guys notice the the robot hand? Yeah, you know, the scene where he they're getting ready to like head out to go save Ben and he's saying mm. like, "Oh no, you need to stay behind." And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah." And um sure, sure. And I'm thinking to him like, "She fucking is like icy Josie. Like, who the fuck are you to say exactly. shit to her? And if anything, you should like leverage your resource and let her like go take care of business because she biologically, scientifically will survive this at a better chance than you." So I kind of was annoyed that they like made themselves like equals in terms of like survival out there. But I don't know, maybe maybe there is something about Josie's biology that is now normalized back to like basic person because she hasn't had any kind of like medication or something. I don't know. I have no idea. But um, if I, in my mind, I'm coming into this thinking she's still badass jo Josie, then like Leighton needs to just shut the fuck up. But yeah, so I don't think he's having necessarily leadership issue. I think Josie is just like doing her her thing and i don't know it seems like they're still doing this mission and they all seem really on board with it they were having a lot of engaging conversation about the science and the data points and stuff like that but i think that it's probably just a natural there's six months out there's limited food um it's probably just natural now for people to start voicing their concerns that we're not sustainable anymore so we need to make some decisions now so hopefully that i mean i i have a suspicion that with Ben down, they're not going to have a choice but to like go look for that train for the medical supplies. Josie's scarring looked better. And like I mentioned, the robot hand, I think the robot hand is probably just a production thing because it's cheaper to give her the hand than to blue screen out her, uh, her missing hand. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's all. I think that's how that miracle took place. But I think I noticed that her suit was still the kind of scuba suit compared to Leighton's full-on like cosmonaut suit. Yeah. When they, when they went outside. But your point is 
I mean, every time a man and a woman are going to go do something dangerous, how inevitable is it that the man has to say to the woman, <laughs> not you, never you. But then the woman always says, no, I'm going. It's, it's I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's 2022 now. Come on. Let's not do it. The crane machine thing does all the work. Right? right. And they had the sled thing that she wound up dragging Ben back anyway by herself. So. Right. He was such a big help there, Layton. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, I know that there was other plot stuff that he did there down there. But it, going back to your argument, Inez, uh, Josie, super Josie, could have done this by herself for sure. Had that been the only mission objective was to rescue Ben. Ben doesn't really have much to do here besides just fall down a hole. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and do and do and be out loud and sciencey stuff. So yeah, yeah. I don't think nothing happened there. <laughs> <laughs> he was a plot device. Yes, yeah. Until I wonder if that pipe wrench to the face will come back and haunt them at all when it comes to the tradeability of Audrey. Because remember, that was sort of the deal, right? Like, oh, you, yeah. you you take care of mine, I'll take care of yours uh, <laughs> with regard Ooh, to, yeah. to Zara and, and Audrey. Because sh- when she got hit and she went down and we never saw her face after that. Yeah. Although maybe that's the line that uh, I wrote down when Wilford said, every game has rules, get creative. So that's what he's doing. Like, Zara is going to be quote unquote fine, but the baby technically whatever he's doing to the baby is not. So he's mm. working around those rules. So he may, it may, you know, like obviously if, if Audrey has like a scar or something, he's going to visibly see what they did to her, but he knows that he's also not playing by the rules because he's messing with the baby. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes sense. And then that line that he says makes sense, more sense with the baby. And then, um, it might have not have been a smart move from Till, but at the moment, it you know, it was the only thing to <laughs> to get them going. But maybe maybe it can be better if they're out there for another six months. But I mean, Audrey's can heal. Mo- Audrey's most dangerous weapon is is her mouth, and at that moment, with the crisis they were having, manufactured or not, with Alex, um, they needed that that weapon taken away, and right. Till had to act. I still say I. I would want Till on my team. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Layton off train gets into a little trouble in the building there. That seemed, I don't know what that equipment was. It looked like a generator to me. And the signage looked like it was in Korean. And that would make sense given the production history of the movie and mm-hmm. the show. What do you think we got here in this in this survivor? How did this person do this? What is what is going on? Any because I there's nothing to go on. So, you, but do you have a theory? I'm still holding out hope that this would be the moment that it was um, Melanie. But I was like, how would she get there? Right? Because we've assumed <laughs> that they've gone all over the world now. Yeah. Um, in six months, but it seems like it's one of those stations that maybe equivalent to where Melanie was holding out. Um, you know, when she kind of um, was doing her mission mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's the person that was in, you know, this station also doing like whatever, you know, like the data point for that area. But the fact that that person has survived this whole time, I mean, I wonder what other resources they have or the data that they would have during this whole time if they survived that long. So 
I don't know, not much to go on right now, except that there's a survivor and that seems crazy in itself. I'm excited to see where it goes. And I also just like that now it's like the off world stuff is coming into play and that and like a new character. So we're going to learn more about the world. And also if they're if they are um, used to like Korea, like seeing what happened over there and like how they dealt with it. So is this the lone survivor in the world or does that mean there's going to also be more at these other stations? I like these data points. Did they say that basically Melanie or the computer said that these, those were the places to go, right? Yeah. Yeah. But was it like Melanie's doing to maybe point them in the direction of these data points? So I was thinking like, could that be like a plan on her end before she, I don't know, maybe she died for real or maybe she didn't and she wanted them to go discover these things because she saw something in the data. I don't know for sure. I, I think the where they stop has to do with where the model that they are mm-hmm. using says that they need to stop in order to confirm or or not the data mm-hmm. that they want to find. Offhand, I wonder about the condition of Korea. I'm assuming it's Korea, that the ice was up to the top of whatever that building was. And if that building was like a power station, because inside it was very dark. And if you were watching on your phone, <laughs> you probably couldn't make out any details. <laughs> but it looked roughly like there were consoles and a similar set dressing that I've seen in other like power station things like the power station scene in The Matrix or Close Encounters or something like that, where there's like these large machines that are that have office chairs pushed up to them that several people can sit at and monitor and, and deal with whatever is going on with these things. And that seemed to be what was all tipped over in there was office chairs and and those kinds of consoles not like pcs and computers like that so much as power monitoring equipment but that's again just a guess it was dark and i am not a power person <laughs> so I, I don't know if that stuff looks like in real life um but the the way that it kept running and throbbing and all that most interesting stuff that happened in this scene and maybe i don't know if you, you guys had recognized any of that imagery but what was that upside down tree looking thing that layton was having after after he was knocked out did you recognize that no i didn't recognize it should i have is this something I should have recognized? <laughs> you know, I, when I see it, I feel like I've seen it somewhere, but I couldn't place it. No, I, I don't know. I'm sure it symbolizes something that like from, you know, imagery, but I, I don't know. But I was also thinking like, because, you know, he obviously got knocked out and then he had those kind of visions so, or dreams and it like shoots to that. But I was like, is it associated with where he was? Or is this like just triggering memories from his, you know, from him and like that, like basically he got concussed in a way, right? And it triggered those memories because then when he was on the on the train, it comes up again, right? And so I was like, is he having visions? Like, is this now becoming like even a more sci-fi thing, or is it just him like remembering something? When I think of this show taking any kind of mystical kind of element you know where now he's having visions of the oasis where they're going to eventually land i i resist wanting that to be a thing mm-hmm. right <laughs> I, so if we, if we try to keep like yeah. our mind on like what from a science perspective does this benefit like where where what could have have happened with this and you know i i didn't think of it as like a flashback of a dream or something it definitely felt like it was new like the colors were super vibrant right very contrast to the whole show um where it's just mm-hmm. more, like dingy right these are very bright colors i love looking at that tree because it reminded me of like 
like a giant mushroom, which I love. And mushrooms are like source of like all life. The, you know, they're, they're the largest living organism on earth and they're part of this giant life cycle. So I just saw that and I was just like, Ooh, it's like a giant mushroom. And I'm like, you know what? Mushrooms could totally like turn this world around here. I have no idea if it's like, could be tied to like something shroom related. And it happened. I think it happened when he like took her, some of her oxygen to save himself. Right. Uh, was it her oxygen or mm. some other kind of oxygen source? Oh. But um, so w- when he, it was took hard to o- tell. Because there was like the machinery on the wall. Well, someone connected him, right? Or Or he he did did it himself. And then there was there was her machinery also, Mm. so it was hard to tell what was going on. I like Inez's uh, theory because I I was thinking like maybe he inhaled something there, but I was like that seems like too mystical for the show. But (laughs) it could be more of the sciencey stuff where they discovered a way to maybe whatever their breathing has given them like you know the extra life or maybe being able to adapt to the cold so i actually like that theory more (laughs) now that i know that like he did connect in to something and that's what made him like kind of like go into more of a high like i guess what is it called like a you know um hallucination kind of thing and that would make more sense like mysticism like we're going into magic kind of world thing that's a good idea because man i don't want you know, like high priests and shit. To- <laughs> yeah, me either. The gods have descended on earth and ready to pick up the survivors. No, I, I was right. thinking, you know, like maybe there, there's something medicinal that's happening in the air that, that he's breathing and that's how he was able to recover in warmth and oxygen so quickly. I mean, I mm-hmm. drink daily a, um, it's called mud water, but it's a, it's like, it's a tea and one of the ingredients in there is mushrooms and, and I'm very into <laughs> to shrooms i haven't yet explored the psychedelic kind but i have a lot of respect for mushrooms and the role that they play in our ecosystem and i respect a lot of the medicinal properties that they have and i feel like this past year especially has they've been finally kind of getting a lot of like respect and publicity amongst people so a lot more like health products and vitamins and teas right now are very intentional about including mushrooms because of some of them being able to help regenerate um our cells and stuff so these are all like factual science related things happening right now so i wouldn't put it past us that if we're going to maybe realm into this psychedelic kind of like sci-fi area a a good solid science route would be something that incorporates shrooms and i just took that big giant tree to actually be a big giant shroom i have no fucking idea it's just like my dream but just to kind of go back to a previous question about what does it mean that we like found this person i'm thinking i think at the the very last episode we recorded for season two i had brought up that you know i had read about that in the comic the graphic novels related to this story they actually talk about underground communities that have survived so you have the train people that survive and think they're the only ones but then there's also people that are underground and they're surviving underground but we don't know i don't know anything beyond the science of how that happened so i'm going to pretend that maybe this generator looking plant and this person is related to the sustainability of maybe some like underground pockets of people take a look in the dm chat right now if you can and i sent you guys a picture of a tree that i thought resembled the tree from the vision yeah it looks similar it it the i feel like it had um 
I feel like it had the uh, like more, it's a little more like grand, smooth, a smooth yeah. like top. But yeah, like the the thickness of that trunk and yeah. Um, I looked up like an upside down tree because that's what it looked like to me. And this is called a quiver tree. And they are found in Namibia on the southwest, southwest, southwest um, coast of Africa. So that might be something to look forward to in the future. But your idea, Inez, about some adaptation made to the other survivors' oxygen supply that may be hallucinogenic in, in nature, that sounds really interesting because because it's been striking him in a way that he's awake, you know, when this is happening, the first time wasn't, but after that, after, after he gets back on the train, he sees it again. And, um, that seems like an after effect of some pharmaceutical, right. Rather than hopefully pixie dust. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add about latent misadventure or can we get to maybe predictions about what's coming next? Yeah. What's next? All right. I don't think we are going to meet up with Big Sally just yet. I mean, that seems more like a mid-season kind of thing to me. I think there's got to be some chewing on Audrey and, and Martin and all that kind of stuff, sorting out the survivor on Snowpiercer and maybe even Ben and, and Alex going back and forth more about engineering, blah, blah, blah. Uh, What do you guys think might be happening on Snowpiercer? I don't think that the meeting up will happen mid-season. I think it, the planning of it and execution probably would be sooner unless they want Ben to die. Um, the sound like from his fall that he's had some pretty serious injuries, maybe risk even of internal bleeding. So I think that this is going to put unwanted pressure on this team to have to go back. So I'm expecting them to make those types of decisions. Um, I think the next episode, hopefully, we'll get some of the, obviously, learn who this person is and learn more about, hopefully, not the pixie dust, but, you know, this, um, how they how they survived underground. And maybe that could also help heal Ben. So they don't necessarily have to go back to the train Ooh. just yet. And then that can, you know, buy them time. So maybe it'll be something where they're going to have to go out on an excursion Maybe not to the location they were at, but like somewhere else if this person gives them information. But that could also be a trap and be like that person could be leading them somewhere else. Maybe there's more people. So I'm hoping it's something like that. We get to stay off world because I think right now if we meet the other train right away, it's it's going to be kind of like anticlimactic because there's not much going on. It'll be like kind of a little bit of last season. So <laughs> I feel like we got to build up some more stakes before that happens. So I feel like the next episode won't won't be them meeting the other train yet, but kind of building some more um, leverage between both of them on both sides. Right. It's almost like we mm, got to discover what, are, what you said earlier, Inez, about the concept that maybe this was another weather station like the other weather station that Melanie's at. Well, maybe they're networked in some way uh, or, yeah. or they at least were aware that they existed before everything went to hell. So... Well, the opposite of hell, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but that could feed into the idea that now all of a sudden they have an idea where to look, that they want to go back for Melanie, right? Because they would know possibly 
how to find her. And then that would be when they <laughs> run into Big Sally, right? Yeah. That'd be the most dramatic point when they think they're about to get Melanie back would be uh, the time that Mr. Wilford gets his talons sunk into them. I like it. I like this. I like this way better than what I had like thought in my mind because I was I didn't want to go back, but I also didn't want Ben to fucking die either. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think he'll die this way. That's too easy. <laughs> I hope the or, shrooms or save the fit. day. <laughs> Yay! Yes. Well, thank you guys for joining me once again on our coverage of Snowpiercer. If people want to find you, Cat, how can they find you best? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at thingscatloves. What about you, Inez? Uh, I am on Twitter. at My handle is uh, at NeezyThinks. So if anybody wants to know my, my thoughts, that's where I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> and I am at Paul V. Daily. I didn't decide to disguise my name at all. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very Paul appropriate handle. So no, I, I, I think it matches perfectly. <laughs> yes. If you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to it. Give us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you found this podcast so other people can find it and listen and enjoy our considered opinions. Uh, and uh, look forward to us again next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.